Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Abby Carcio. And I'm your other host, Sydney Cummings. And from wherever you're listening, welcome to Megged, a women's soccer podcast where we talk about anything and everything related to the women's professional sport. These are our unsolicited football opinions. You didn't ask for them, but we're going to give them. And who knows? Maybe you'll agree. Maybe you'll disagree. But that's the beauty of the game and what's kept us friends for so long. This episode, we'll be discussing Group E in the group stage of the Women's World Cup. Move your feet. This is Megged. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Megged. Abby, how are you? Back home in the States. Had a little bit to adjust. Tell me how you're doing. Yeah, I've been home for a week now, and I'm finally on East Coast time, which is nice. And it's also nice to have some, you know, Western trinkets back in my life. A dryer isn't really present in Europe, and so having the ability to just dry my clothes in like 30 minutes is fantastic. So that's how I am, Sid. But how are you? You're a little sick this week, huh? Yes, I am under the weather. I cannot escape getting sick. I don't know what it is. I really stand by what I said a few episodes ago. I did not get sick once when I was in Australia. And now I think this is the third time I've been sick since I've been back in the States. So not a fan of what we have going on over here. I hate it. I hate being sick. We got to get you some vitamin C or something. I know, but I'm excited for this episode, so definitely willing to power through. Before we jump into Group E, we're actually going to talk about a prediction that came out from EA Sports. So EA Sports simulated the Women's World Cup and did a bracket, a breakdown of what teams would make it out of the group stage, who would face each other in the knockouts, down to the score lines. And I guess the reason why this is like a bit of tea is because they've correctly predicted the past four men's tournaments. And are we surprised? Maybe a little. They have the U.S. winning 4-2 against Germany. So we're just going to go through it kind of quick. Tell me your thoughts on this, Abs. We were talking about a little before we started recording. The U.S. has a very easy path to the final, it kind of looks like. Yeah, it depends how everything shakes out in the group stages. But however you cut it, the U.S. does, I would say, out of the power players, have the easiest route to the finals. But I think one thing that the simulation gets wrong is that they underestimate Spain. They have Spain losing to Norway in the round of 16, 2-1. to one, And I just think that's – I think they're full of baloney. While I do think Norway is a very strong team – I think this is Spain's tournament to prove themselves. And I think especially, a, you know, a possession-based team versus kind of more of a physical, physically dominant team, I think the possession's going to win out on that one. So I think that's where they're going wrong in the simulation. Yeah, two things that I want to know. It's kind of interesting. They only have one game going to penalties, and that's Switzerland and Japan. So I think that's interesting. I wonder, like, what we're actually going to see in the knockout stage in terms of teams going to extra time and uh, penalty shootouts. But the thing for me, and I'm not 100-100% sure, but on the opposite side of the bracket, they have England and Australia playing against each other. I'm pretty sure, but not 100%, that that means either England or Australia 
have to finish second in their group stage in order for that to happen. And I'm not convinced that that's going to happen. I think Australia is going to top their group and I think England's going to top their group. So I don't know if they top their groups, if we'll see them playing each other, because I'm pretty sure first doesn't play first. But I think that that's a bit of a mistake. I don't think we'll see them play each other until possibly later on. Yeah, I agree with you, Sid. On that one, seems to be questionable that they have Australia not topping their group. I did watch the Matilda's documentary recently with my with my mom, and it was really inspiring and made me like want to root for them even more. But it also shows this like fragility in that like they're under so much pressure. There is a potential that they choke. I hope they don't. But yeah, that's the only thing to watch out for on Australia. And then one thing I do think they get right in this bracket is Germany. I think they're going to be in the final. I've said it from the beginning. And yeah, I agree with that on this one. I think it's interesting what you just said about Australia and the pressure. I actually feel like all of the top teams in this tournament have a lot of pressure. Like there's a lot of pressure on England. There's a lot of pressure on the US. There's a lot of pressure on Germany. There's a lot of pressure on Spain. Like I feel like a lot of the top teams have a lot of pressure. So it'll be interesting to compare how this bracket works out as the tournament goes on. Um, And we're less than a month away. Important to note that we're less than a month away from the first World Cup game. But yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll see. I don't know if I see the US winning 4-2 against Germany though. So we'll see. I do think it's interesting though, in all of the games that the US plays in this bracket, they give up goals. And so we talked a little bit about the fact that Becky was not on the roster, is not going to the World Cup in the last episode. And in this group, we'll go into a little more detail since the US is in group E. So Abby, you ready? Absolutely. Let's hit it. So we are going to kick things off with the U.S. They are currently ranked number one in the FIFA ranking. They have been for a really long time. Their roster dropped last week. And I feel like, in my opinion, the staples on that roster are Alex Morgan, Megan Rapinoe, Kelly O'Hara, Julie Ertz, Lindsay Horan, Naomi Gurma, and Alyssa Nair. And obviously there's other people that I feel like are very important, but I feel like those people maybe for leadership purposes or playing purposes are going to be key for them doing really well. And I do think it's important to know, I didn't mention Sophia Smith in that list, but I, I feel like she's not necessarily a staple in the fact that she's not a vet, but I do think that she is a staple. So maybe this is my way of just chucking her on there as well. I do think she'll be important, but then also with the roster, my fears are Rose Lavelle is like a porcelain doll. That girl is always hurt. And I feel like there's been some talk in media day and she said she would be okay, but I'm just not hundred percent that she can go full on for the tournament. And then there's no Becky. So we had this conversation a little bit last week, Abby, like, what do you do with that gap in the midfield? Because he did not bring in Tierna Davidson. So the other center backs apart from Gurma are Cook and Sonnet. So not, not the biggest um, supporters of those two people, as we've said. So what are your thoughts about the roster? All right, there's a lot to unpack here. First, I think I'm going to throw out a conspiracy theory right now on this podcast. I think that Roosevelt's injuries is a tactic 
by the U.S. national team because obviously she's one of their most crucial players and her inclusion in a lineup, it changes a whole lot for the opposition team and their game plan. And so I almost feel like the U.S. is teetering on like, okay, is Lavelle in? Is she out? Just to mess with the other teams. That's my conspiracy theory. I just wanted to throw that one out there. But she has been hurt. Like, she hasn't been playing for the rain. Yeah, it's all in the conspiracy, Sid. Okay, go on. Yeah, so that's my thoughts on Lavelle. In terms of the roster, I'm not super surprised, to be honest. Regarding the back line, I do not want to see Sonnet in center back. Like, if she wants to have some time on the outside, I think go for it. But, yeah, I, it wouldn't be a move for me to put her in center back position. I think Alana Cook and Germa will play side by side. And then, yeah, this is a huge question that I want to pose, Sid, actually, is does Vlatko change things up in the group stage regarding that back line? Does he try Alana Cook for one game? And then does he try the option of signing Julie Ertz back at center back? I think we will see Ertz at center back at some point. And here's why. They have a lot of depth in the midfield. And like we've talked about previously, they've gone a really long time in the midfield dealing with the loss of Ertz. She hasn't been playing. And so I think if you have somebody who, don't get me wrong, I think Julie Ertz is a phenomenal six, but I fell in love with her when she was Julie Johnston and she was a center back. Like she is such a good defender that I genuinely think she could fill a very big void from Becky. They're obviously not a like for like, but I do think that there are aspects to Ertz's game that are so critical that that back line is kind of missing like that ability to crunch in on tackles. I often feel like Cook is a bit lackadaisical, and I feel like Ertz is the complete opposite of that. That also being said, like, God forbid something's ha- something happens and one of them goes down, I think it's important that you've tried something before you throw it in, in, you know, the semifinal game or something. So I think we'll see her there because I think there's, more depth in the midfield than there is in the back line and you can replace her at the six but I don't know how well Cook will replace Becky at center back I mean no one can replace Becky and that's that's fair to say but they play Vietnam first and so in my opinion I think it would be wise to give Alana Cook some confidence I think we would be fools to say that Alana Cook won't be used or won't be needed in this tournament for the U.S. And therefore, I think she needs to get some confidence under her belt. Vietnam's the easiest one in this group for me. And I think it's crucial that she gets time in that game before you slip Juilliard's back there. Oh, absolutely. I think Cook, like, I think in the perfect world, Cook is playing center back. Because if you can have Earths at the six and have her more involved in the attack, that's really beneficial. So I think he'll do what he can to make Cook comfortable playing center back and in that role. So I agree with you. And I think it's important to note, I don't only think that Ertz needs to step into that role if something goes wrong with Cook. I think she's played enough. I think she'll be fine. Just because I'm not the biggest fan of the way she plays doesn't mean that she won't be fine for the World Cup. Um, and I often think that sometimes on this stage, like players step up. So she might step up and, and be phenomenal, especially with Becky going down and maybe not expecting to get that starting solidified spot. So I think she'll I think she'll be fine. I think that this lineup for me 
the back line does have a lot of question marks. I'm really happy about Kelly because we talked about the fact that she might not be available. I'm really happy about that. I think that that will really help, especially with her and Dunn. Don't know how much Kelly will be able to play with the lingering injury that she has, but I want to talk about the front line because I think that's going to be the biggest key to this team. It is such a young gun, fast team, like down the flanks, holy crap, teams are going to be in for such a rude awakening. Like, I genuinely feel like the mantra for this team, and it sucks because I feel like this is so different than what it's been for the previous years. I feel like it's going to be score more than we get scored on. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you on that front, Sid. Obviously, shaky back line. I hope they pull through. I think you do have Kelly O'Hara and Crystal Dunn to pin back the back, but we'll see how that goes over. Front line, I... I see what you're saying i think they're gonna put teams under high pressure i hope we see a full press for the front three but i'm not sure that's going to be vladko's game plan like i really don't know how they're going to come out in an attacking shape i really don't know i think that they normally either i feel like they always have a front three sometimes they'll play a four, two, three, one, and like Alex, let's say, as the nine will be kind of high. Oh, that's something else we actually didn't mention. Ashley Hatch didn't make this roster. And I was a bit surprised by that because I felt like she was getting called into camps like so much. But the reason why I'm not sure if it was said by Vlaco or what was said was that the reason why Hatch didn't make the roster is because other people in the front line have the ability to play the nine. So like Sophia Smith can play the nine, but like Hatch can't play the seven and eleven. And I thought that was really interesting. I genuinely feel like she probably thought she was going to make the roster just with how things have gone, but obviously that's the game. All of this to say, I think the front line poses so many threats. Like, Sophia Smith can switch with Lynn Williams, come in on the other side. Trinity Rodman can come in for Lynn Williams, and you're literally dealing with the same thing for the next 20 minutes. The thing that I think is the most important with this front line, I feel like Sophia Smith will be okay because she's literally crushing it right now. Alex Morgan and Pino will obviously be okay because they have the experience. I feel like the thing for me is like this front line has to put their opportunities away because even though they might dominate, it's the World Cup. Like you might only get four or five opportunities in a game. And if you don't put away three and put these teams to bed, that can come back to bite you in the butt, especially when you don't have the most solidified back line like you have had in previous tournaments. Yeah, you mentioned this fluidity amongst the the front three, which I think you're totally right in. To go back to what I was saying before, I think one of the tactics that needs to be employed by Vlatko and by the U.S. national team is keeping the ball as far away from your own defensive third as possible. Like That'll allow you a little bit of breathing space for that shaky back line. And so in order to do that, you have to pick the ball off of the other back line. You need to high press. And because these front three interchangeably haven't had the most time together, their chemistry isn't super solid. And I think that's crucial when you're high pressing. I think the tactics of a high press, especially when you're playing against teams that like to build out, it needs to be on point. And so that's the only thing that's a bit hairy with this front three for me is, you know, when they don't have the ball, how are they setting up defensively in their structure within that aspect? That's what I'm concerned about. Yeah, that's such a good point. I feel like the U.S. does do the best when they press and can win the ball up high on the pitch and then capitalize on other teams' mistakes. 
I genuinely feel like this team has, they've had good results on the year, obviously, but I feel like they've had bad performances. And so I feel like this team in camp really needs to sort everything out. It needs to be a really high competitive environment. And I feel like they need to dominate in practice. Like when they're on the pitch, they should literally hate each other. And when they step off the pitch, continue to have such good camaraderie. I do feel like this team is pretty close, but there is a big gap in terms of age. Like there's some people who have literally zero experience. And then there are people who are going to their fourth world cup. So I think it's really important to find a good balance with that. Like, obviously they're the number one team in the world. Prove it. And I feel like that's kind of the the key for them. Dominate every team. Like, that's it. That's what you're known for. That's what you need to do. That's how you win. Especially because, like, for them, we're not even talking about making it out of the group stage. We're talking about them winning the whole thing. So they need to dominate at every single minute of this tournament. The key for me, if the U.S. wants to see the final, they cannot rely on overpowering teams physically. That can't be their game plan anymore. They need to tactically defend and attack better than the other team. If they don't have that tactical advantage, they're not making this the final for me. And I think they'll have an interesting test because this group has the two most experienced teams from the last tournament and two complete newbies. And one of those newbies is Vietnam. So Vietnam is one of the newbies in the World Cup. So we talked about them in our New Kids on the Block episode. They are currently ranked 32nd in the FIFA rankings. Um, And I think what's interesting to note about them, and it's very similar to Haiti, who we covered in our last episode, they do really well against other Asian Confederation teams. However, this is bigger than that. So kind of like we talked about with Haiti, Abby, how as a team that dominates in your Confederation, which maybe is of a lower standard, how do you manage when you're playing on this stage? I think preparation is the key for these types of teams. Vietnam's already in Nepal to acclimate to the weather change, which I think is great for them. But they're also playing New Zealand right before the World Cup, which I think is a great prep game for them. So that obviously outside of those confederation games, it gives you a little bit more of an idea of, you know, these middle of the table teams that they might be facing. So I think their preparation and their intentions are great. But I don't think anything can really prepare you for facing a USA or a Netherlands or a Portugal on the world stage. Yeah, and I feel like that's kind of the difficulty that they'll face. Um, They did play Germany last week, and I feel like that will be a good comparison for them in terms of playing teams, like you just said, like the Netherlands, like the U.S., because they got dominated in that game possession-wise. They only had 27% of possession. That being said, they scored in the 92nd minute. So I feel like that's the kind of team that they need to be, like withstand pressure, Because obviously possession doesn't win games, but if you don't have the ball nearly 70% of the game, that's taxing on you mentally. So if they can withstand that mental pressure from these teams and then find moments to capitalize. So imagine that instead of scoring in the 92nd minute, they scored in the 62nd minute, right? So if you can find a way to stay in games, I feel like that will be really important to them. So I feel like even though they are newbies in this group and like Portugal is a newbie as well but I think Portugal is kind of at a different level even though they are newbies in this group I feel like it's really important for them to just understand where they fall and and where they stack up against these other teams because I genuinely feel like if they can withstand like I said they they might be able to pinch points 
you know what, Sid, I'll be the realistic side of this one. Last week, we talked about how if you were an underdog, that was the group to be in. Group E is not the group to be an underdog in. I'm sorry, but I don't think Vietnam has has a chance to get out of this group. I think this is a great opportunity for their federation to show well and to start getting legs behind a women's program. But yeah, going into that first game against U.S., like, what's your men? I know what my mentality would be, Sid, but what's your mentality going into that first game? My mentality would honestly be like, you have nothing to lose. Like, they're the number one ranked team in the world. So if you can go out there and I think stay really compact defensively, I feel like the U.S. has a really hard time playing against teams that sit in. And I feel like if you can sit in really well and like maintain your shape, which comes with so much discipline, if you can do that and you can frustrate them. And then, like I said, counter on something because the U S team is not perfect. They will make a mistake. So if you can capitalize on a corner set pieces, I think would potentially be key because keep in mind, Becky's gone and Becky dominates set pieces defensively. So I think if you can capitalize on set pieces, capitalize on mistakes and frustrate them by having a very low block and sitting in, I think that that's really important. But I think the other thing that's important is like, the more the U.S. has the ball, the more opportunity they will have to score. So when they do win possession, don't just boot the ball, right? See if you can keep it. See if you can work it up the field. Don't make dumb mistakes and try to play out of the back when Lynn Williams, Alex Morgan, and Sophia Smith are pressing you. But see what you can do just in terms of keeping the ball as much as possible, but also sitting in so that they don't have easy access to goal. Yeah, that's a good point about trying to keep the ball when they do have it. In their preparation, they also played against a few men's teams, which I think would give them kind of a realistic opposition that dominates in possession, but also is going to win the ball back as soon as they lose it. And so I hope that Vietnam practiced that. We'll see on the big stage. I think going into USA, yeah, like you said, Sid, I would focus on defensive shape. Are they going to play six in the back? That's my question. Are they going to play a line of six in the back? What do you think? Six? Six. I've seen it six. They've played six in the back? I've seen teams play six in the back multiple times. Listen, I'm of the belief, I believe wholeheartedly in four backs, right? Like, I genuinely think that that is the best balance for back lines. I understand sitting in in a five back. However... I feel like the moment you add that extra person into a back line, things become kind of confusing about whose roles and responsibilities are what. And I feel like when you have a four back, it's very clear. It's very clear cut who has what responsibility. When you add in that fifth player, I feel like it should make it easier. But from my own personal experience, I think it makes it harder. So if they really practice it and feel really confident in it, fine. But I genuinely think that what's going to be really important for them is scouting and knowing their roles. So if that's in a back five, in a back six, a back seven, sure. But I think that they have to find the formation that works best for them. Because like we said, the U.S. is probably coming out in a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3-3. For me, the key for Vietnam is to have a good showing this tournament, show that they're not going to completely bleed goals. So that means staying in games. Even if it's 3-0, stay in that game, keep that scoreline low, and then build for the next year. That's how I would go into this tournament. Yeah, for me, the key for them is counter and capitalizing on mistakes. So you're probably not going to be able to work the ball up the field and outpossess the U.S. But if you can capitalize on a mistake and pinch a goal, I think that that's great. So 
I feel like for them, it's understanding how they're going to be able to possibly get away with a point. Um, and a lot of that comes from preparation. So like you said, hopefully their preparation goes really well. So we're kind of like on a seesaw going from experience to non-experience back to experience. So Netherlands is the third team in this group. They're currently ranked number nine. Obviously, this is super interesting because right off the bat in the group stage, we're going to see a rematch from the 2019 World Cup final where we saw the U.S. and Netherlands play each other in the final. Obviously, the U.S. came away victorious in that one. Abby and I were there. I know I always say this every time, but it was so fun. I always feel the need to mention it. We were there, got literally the real life experience of seeing the U.S. win. And I feel like this Netherlands team has gone through a lot since we saw them last. So Abby, tell me your thoughts. I know we've talked about no Viv and that's been such a big talking point. So what do you feel like this team needs to do since their key attacking player is gone? Yes. And so that USA Netherlands matchup is going to be an interesting one because they're completely different teams than they were four years ago. So I'm excited to see how they do on that front, but yeah, again, Netherlands without Viv, are they the Netherlands? That's the question. I mean, she's just such a stalwart for their team and like all of their gameplay is just surrounded her tactically that I'm sure there was a complete restructure since her ACL injury. But I want to talk about the coach, Andres Jonker. He is a Dutchman. Mark Parsons was at the helm during the Euros. I think that was bit contentious I don't think culturally the coach and the players blended but I think this is a good change for them and I think he's going to bring in that quality Dutch tactics go back to basics for me the Netherlands are going to utilize their midfield that's their strongest part of the pitch you have very experienced players you have Jill Roard Vanderdonk both in form you have Palova who plays for Arsenal the middle of the pitch is the most formidable for me um, but the question Mark said is, what are they going to do on the front line? Like, how are they going to score goals without Viv? Yeah, I feel like this is something that you and I spoke about offline. Like, it's really important for them to not play direct through their nine, because like we said, Viv is not there. So I feel like the key for them, and I actually feel like they did this really well in the Euros, in the 2019 World Cup, is utilizing the flanks. If you can get cutback balls in, they're pretty dominant physically. So even if that ball's in the air and they need to head the ball down, I genuinely feel like cutback balls or crosses directly into the box are going to be a really good way for them to try to generate shots on goal. And then I feel like it's just about finishing. So making sure that anybody who plays in the front line gets really good reps in the preparation of being confident, being clinical, because sometimes it's not like the cleanest, prettiest touch, but it's enough like it's enough to know, okay, this ball is coming at me with a ton of pace. I don't need to have that much pace on this header. I just need to put it towards goal. So I feel like stuff like that will be really important for them. And I just want to go back to what you were saying about that little stint that they had with Mark Parsons. I feel like that coaching change, and I don't 100% know this because obviously I'm not in the squad, but I feel like that coaching change is really going to bring and has brought this team closer together. Based off of the media things that came out about Mark Parsons' time there, players were not a fan of him. It just like wasn't a good cultural fit. And I feel like when you have somebody who really understands your style of play, your team chemistry, just your culture in general, that goes a really long way. So I feel like they were kind of down in the dumps when Parsons was there, but still performed pretty well. So now if they have a leader who really brings them up, they'll do pretty well, I feel like, in in this group. And so 
for me, I feel like the key is for them to use their experience. They are literally runners up from the 2019 World Cup. Like they are an experienced side. And I know they have new players coming in, obviously a new coach, but I genuinely think that if they can control play and score goals in whatever realm that may be, personally for me, I think it's from attacking on the flank. I think that they will make it out of this group. Yeah, I think you're on to something, Sid, with attacking from the flank. You have Lika Martins, who has excellent pace coming in, usually on the left side. But you're right. If they don't finish, that's going to be a huge problem. So can they get numbers in the box once the ball goes out to the flank? That's going to be key. I'm curious who plays the 10, and I'm curious if they play like a double pivot with the 9 and 10. I think that would probably serve them well because Viv has left a huge hole. But I'm really curious to see what they do in the final third of the pitch. In the back, I think they're pretty solid. They have a lot of experience. Jansen's going to shore up everything in the back. She just came off of a great season at Wolfsburg, so I'm not too concerned about them back there. But the big question is, can they put it all together on the big stage? Like, Can they ride this new high off of a new coach and kind of perform better than they did in the Euros is the question. And I feel like based off of that EA Sports simulation, the answer is no, because they do not have them going past the round of 16. But I feel like this team is on a mission. Obviously, it stings to get second place in the World Cup. And to be facing the team that did that to you in the group stage, I don't know. I think that rematch, I think that rematch is going to be pretty good. I'm excited to watch that one. And so we're seesawing back on the opposite side, and we're ending with Portugal. Portugal is the fourth team in this group. They're ranked 21. And I feel like they're, maybe this is why we were wrong or when we said, like, this is the best group to be an underdog, why wow, that's wrong, because, like, they're not really an underdog. No, they're not an underdog at all, in my mind. I'm so excited for Portugal. I really enjoyed watching them in the Euros. They didn't make it out of the group stage, which was unfortunate, but they played some amazing football, and they showed a lot of determination and heart. In two of their games, they came back from deficits to score two goals, one of which was against the Netherlands. And so I think that experience being in that tournament setting and playing against big teams and coming back, all of that will culminate into confidence going in. And not for nothing, Portugal has some good players. Yeah, I think it's important what you said. Like they've played against the Netherlands pretty recently. Um, That was last year. So I feel like that should give them confidence. Like it was a 3-2 game. You came back from a deficit. Like that's no small feat. And so I feel like Portugal should have a lot of confidence going into this group because obviously I think the U.S. is is the pick to top the group, the media pick, I'll say. I think Netherlands is second. But I think if Portugal has a big enough chip on their shoulder, they could do some damage in this group and potentially work their way into a second place spot. And I feel like that's why they're not an underdog because we're not talking about underdogs potentially being in the second place spot. And I do feel like they have the potential to make it out, even if they are the third team, they finish third. I feel like they still have the potential to make it out depending on how things fall. But they, you mentioned the players, they have a players with a lot of caps who also play on a lot of club teams together. And there's something to be said about chemistry and experience. So even though they haven't played on this stage, they've played, like you said, on the Euros, they've played in club cups and a lot of them together. So I feel like that chemistry will really carry them through this tournament. Right. They have a lot of what you would call perhaps superficial things going for them, you know, chemistry, confidence. But for me, those things 
go a long way, especially in tournament play when anything can happen. Another thing that I think is less superficial is their warm-up game. It's against England, who has a very similar profile to the U.S. and the Netherlands. And so I think that's a perfect game for them to test out their tactics that they will employ against these big guns in their group. Yeah, I agree. That's such a good game leading into the World Cup for them. And I feel like that will give us a lot of information about how they're going to line up against these teams in their group stage. I feel like, you, like you said, England and the U.S. do have very similar makeups. I feel like what's important is if that game does not go well. And by does not go well, I mean if, you know, they get shut out or they give up three goals or whatever the case may be. I feel like it's really important that they still learn from it and their confidence doesn't drop. I don't think they need to necessarily go into that game thinking, oh, we have to beat England in order to be successful in the group stage in the World Cup. But I feel like if they go into it and implement the tactics that they want to work on for this group stage and they do those really well, it's okay if you give up a goal, right? Like you still have time. So I feel like that will be a really good learning experience, but it has to go well mentally for them. So for me, the key for them is mentally. Like, don't think of themselves as underdogs. Like, they can really do some damage in this group, and they are formidable opponents. So I feel like for me, Portugal needs to come out, guns blazing, follow good tactics, obviously, but, you know, blow up this group, basically. Yeah, I agree with you on the mentality piece. I'm less concerned about it because of the mental fortitude they showed in the Euros. Regarding the England game, one more point about that. I, I think it's less about like having confidence in that game. I think it would be wise for the coach to set them up and be like, hey, this is our game where we're, ge we're going to employ our tactics and it's going to expose the holes in those tactics. And that will allow us to perform better in the group stage of the World Cup. And so I want them to use that England game to show where they're weak, to show where those holes are, and so they can patch them up in the group stage. That's, I think, crucial going into the game. And then once you get into the group stage, I think you need a must-win against Vietnam. And the Netherlands is the game to watch. I think you can pinch a point off of them. We'll see, but I'm going to root for Portugal. I'm excited for them. I love that point you just made, Abs, about exposing the weaknesses, using the England game to expose your weaknesses. God, I can't wait for you to be a coach because you're just going to be so stinking good. Love that. So give me give me your perspective then, little Miss Coach. Who are the top two teams? Sweet baby Jesus, if USA doesn't get out of this group, oh my Lord, Vlatko better have a bodyguard around him. But I do think that USA will make it out of this group. Fingers crossed. We'll see how they do. Um, I think we'll be very clear after the first game what kind of USA team we're dealing with. But I think USA will top the group. Then for me, Sid, uh, I'm going to back the Netherlands. I think they're going to get out. I think they have good momentum from this new coach. I would love to see Portugal steal some points, but I do think at the end of the day, USA and Netherlands are getting out. Yeah, I feel the same. The U.S. should not have an issue here. Netherlands, I feel like, will also make it out of this group. But I feel like, like you said, like if Portugal can pinch a point against the Netherlands, I feel like we'll see three. There's the potential for three to leave this group as well. Um, so I'm going to stick with U.S. and Netherlands, but Portugal definitely has an asterisk next to, next to their name for this. But that's on the pitch in terms of play. Now let's go to on the pitch in terms of jerseys. It's time for best kit in the group, hot takes, kit version.
All right, Sid, we've got a colorful round of jerseys, this group. Starting off with our best award. Hmm, this one's tough because you do have this like splash pattern on multiple teams, but I think with the coloration of Portugal, I love their away kits. It almost looks like, do you remember chiclets? Those little gum things with like the sprinkles on them? No. Okay, well, our listeners will know. It looks like a chiclet to me, and it's just nostalgic, but also the colors are dope. So Portugal is my top pick for this round. I also really like Portugal's kit. I feel like their away kit, like you said, it, the colors are just so good. Because if you look at the U.S.'s um, white jersey, it's very similar, like you said, in terms of the splatter. And I remember when these kits first got leaked for the U.S., I absolutely hated them. And I feel like the difference between... Portugal and the U.S. one, obviously, apart from the colors, which I actually genuinely don't feel like they make that big of a difference, but it's the crest. It's the FIFA crest placement for me on the U.S.'s kits. It's the same size as the USA logo on the breast, and I feel like that aesthetically throws me off. If that gold FIFA thing was not there on the U.S.'s white kit, that would be my pick. But I feel like just given the colors and given the layout of the Nike symbol and the Portugal logo, they're my pick for for best kit. I actually think my least favorite kit in this group is Vietnam's red jersey. It's it's just boring. Like that's the only reason why it's it's my least favorite. I feel like literally every other jersey home and away for every team has some kind of pattern. Oh, I guess Portugal's um red kit also really doesn't have a pattern or anything. That at least has some contrast with the green on it. But I feel like the Vietnam red kit is just boring. So it's my least favorite for that reason. It's a fine kit. It's just one color. Yeah, but the Portugal ones, that's like classic. Like classic yeah. Portugal. And then, yeah, said we agree completely on these jerseys this time around. The red kits are just kind of boring. There's a little bit of texture. But for me, you could have done a little bit more on your away kits. Have some fun with it. Yeah, but regardless, like this is going to be a really fun group to watch fashion wise. Obviously, I think the kits will contrast each other really well. And then I feel like, I don't know, this analysis like kind of made me really excited to see this group. I feel like for the first time, the U.S. is not in the group of death for the Olympics, for the World Cup, like whatever. But I genuinely feel like given... I don't know, kind of some of the question marks that we've given about them. And given the fact that Netherlands and Portugal are formidable opponents, I feel like this group could be a little spicy. And that is always fun. We love spicy soccer. Speaking of spicy soccer, you got any games to watch, Abs? Oh, yeah. Back to the NWSL this weekend. Gotham and Angel City on Sunday the 2nd. It's going to be interesting. Gotham has been doing so well, but they do have four World Cup players that aren't going to be in the squad in these coming games. So I'm curious to see how that one pans out. And then on the flip side, a documentary that'll get you hyped for this World Cup is a six-part series on Disney Plus about the Australian national team. You know, I didn't know too much about their team, but it really got me behind them going into this tournament. So give that a watch. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to email us at megpodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Instagram at megpodcast. We hope everyone enjoyed this episode. Please rate us and leave reviews on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Join us next week as we tackle new topics, fight over our different perspectives, and as always, our hot takes. See you next week on Megd.